So tonight's discussion is is really that it's a discussion, uh, and that's and the reason why is because normally when I get here, I start pontificating, and I start lecturing, and I start talking, because I have a lot to say in the matter, and it's kind of a, there's something I'm trying to impress or to bring about or some issue that I want to tackle from every angle. Uh, tonight I want to tackle really a dilemma. I want to I want to grapple with uh, a problem with tension that exists uh, within uh, certain realms of, of Jewish philosophy and practice. Uh, because normally it's very easy for me to find like a clear cut solution with you know with a certain problem you know the, the to- there's a flavor there's a direction uh, you know there's a theme that we could follow uh, to try to understand a certain issue. Typically, that's the way it would work. Uh, however, when I was researching for this topic, I found that there really is um, credence to both sides of the argument, which makes it a really good uh, subject matter for discussion. Because there seems to be good arguments on both sides of the issue, on one hand. There seems to be good source material for both sides of the issue, on the other hand, which makes it obviously perplexing. And then they don't seem to both, or at least initially, they don't seem to really both be compatible. Uh, it seems like it ought to be one or the other, yet we see both. So what I want to do is try to navigate this discussion or just conduct this discussion uh, to the best of our abilities, and we'll see how far we get because I have a lot of sources. Um, and typically, uh, when we do this kind of discussion, it's very apt for getting bogged down and getting uh, uh, a, a, a debate brewing uh, and not really progressing in the sources. So whichever way it goes, it goes. I don't see all my combatant, my typically more combat, combative uh, friends are not here tonight, I don't think. I guess well, some of you guys, but... <laughs> okay, so, so, so the, w- w- what are we talking about? We're talking about um, big picture motivations. Um decisions that we have to make in life, um, actions that we have to take. Uh, and on one hand, as believers, you know, we accept the total dominion of God. Uh, and we accept that God is complete control. And we accept that everything that happens to him, to us in our lives, everything that we encounter, all the circumstances are orchestrated by the Almighty. Uh, and if so, we're kind of at God's mercy. And you know, we don't really, it's not really about us. It's about whatever God wants to happen to us. That's what happens to us. You know, when we, as Jews, there's a lot of Jewish lingo that we have. You know, uh, uh, someone wrote to me uh, that, um, in an email, oh, I'll be coming if, if the Almighty wants me to come. Bezos Hashem. You know, or with the help of heaven. Uh, and you should, uh, the Almighty should let you live till 120 years old. Right, etc., etc. We have those these these uh, mottos, these adages that we say. Uh, you know, with the grace of the Almighty, we're able to do X, Y, or Z. Uh, and we kind of, you know, we're not really student more part. You know, we're we're just filling in the blanks. On the one hand, on the other hand, uh, you know, you look at the Torah and it's telling us what we have to do and what happens if we don't do it, and it doesn't get done. And we have this idea of personal responsibility of of what it means. To be a Jew, it means to change the world. It means to change yourself. It means to change your community. It means to work and to progress and to achieve 
what would have otherwise not been achieved. So which one is it? Is it about what God wants, or is it about what we want? Is it our actions that matter, uh, or is it what God has uh, in store for us? And that's our kind of divine destiny. That's what's going to happen. So that's really the two issues. And I want to kind of, I, I wrote here a few examples here. Um, some of them are a little bit uh, hyperbolic. Uh, but I'm going to try to convey, convey a point. And then we'll source it also from uh, sources in, in the Torah. So let me ask you guys a question. See, tell me if this is ridiculous or not. So let's assume, uh, let's make this supposition, maybe we'll disagree with it. Who knows? But let's presuppose that God knows everything and kind of orchestrates or decides everything, oversees everything. Uh, well, does God determine when it, whether, whether I live or die? Yes or no? What do we say? Well, there's verses. The Almighty makes people live and takes people away. Right? The, the Almighty giveth and he taketh away. That's what, that's what we say. So let me ask you a question. What do I have to lose by being maybe reckless or unhealthy or driving without a seatbelt. I don't know if that's reckless or not, you know, or uh, I don't know, but drive, driving a motorcycle or I don't know, walking, uh, taking a bike along the highway, you know, uh, leisurely uh, or walking into the highway or, uh, you know, just leaving uh, a, kids on a roof without a fence. God forbid. Right? What's the... If anybody wants them to live, they'll live. If anybody wants them to die, they'll die regardless. Is that is that a good question? Um, so that seems like maybe that's a little bit immediate. You know, okay. What about, am I, must I uh, eat super healthy? Uh, or can I say, listen, I'll eat whatever I want to eat, and then if God wants to kill me, let him kill me. And you know what? A lot of very healthy people die as well. A lot of people that eat unhealthy, quote-unquote, they live very long. So it's not really about what you eat, it's about what God decides. So, so which one is it? Must we watch over our health from a Torah's perspective? We seem to find such indications. But wait a minute, the Almighty One who gives life, and the Almighty the One who, do, who, who takes, takes life away. So which one is it? Uh, other examples. You know, this is, uh, we say in our prayers every day, that the Almighty should give uh, a healing, a complete healing to someone who's sick. So what are we trying to say? We're trying to say that the Almighty, uh, that, that there's someone sick and we're asking the Almighty that they should not be sick and be healthy. Now, who makes someone sick? Okay, but... Uh, working with our assumption that the Almighty is one who oversees whatever happens to us, and even people that could be exposed to things, they won't necessarily get it, but who, who created the Ebola, like the, who allowed the Ebola virus to develop? You know? So, uh, but someone gets... Yeah, I'm saying, don't, don't we say that if someone gets cancer, well, who gave him cancer? God forbid. It's the Almighty. Is that right? Because once you accept, once you accept a certain... Uh, supposition that the Almighty is the one who's in charge. Well, if the Almighty's in charge, then what what happens? We say, you know what? God, you're thinking maybe to kill this guy. You know what? I have a better idea. Let's make the person live. Is this our affair or is it God's affair? 
Right? If God wants someone to, to live, he'll let them live. And if God wants someone to die, then he'll take them away. We're trying to intervene. We're trying to inject what we want into what's in God's domain, God's sphere. Well, what's the deal? Uh, some more questions here. Um, with regards to one's livelihood. You know, the, we have some sources in the Torah that talk about the Almighty is the one who decides on Rosh Hashanah how much someone's going to have. Talmud in Bob Basra. On Rosh Hashanah, the Almighty says, who's going to be wealthy? Who's be, how much money are you going to make this year? Okay, so what do you got to lose? Just sit on the couch. <laughs> right? It's decided how much you're going to make, and therefore you're going to make it. It'll parachute into your backyard. Why do you have to worry about anything? What will you gain or lose by, 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 by working harder? Um, I think that this is the kind of tension I think that exists. That on one hand we see uh, some rationale, reasons for the idea or for the acceptance of the philosophical approach that God's in total, total control. Yet, clearly, we don't behave that way. And we behave like it's you know we're, we you know we interject into uh, you know we interject what we think ought to happen uh, into some sort of dialogue with the Almighty. So which one is it? So let's uh, let's kind of um, dig in a little bit here to some sources that we found. Why is that? Go ahead, proceed. Well, I mean, do we have free will? You don't have free will. If you don't have free will, then you just sit on the couch and wait for everything. So you're, you're doing a, you're, you're, you're doing, what are you essentially doing? Break it down for me, Tom. Well, TJ. TJ, baby. The, 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 argument, the argument is, you know, if, if, again, as you stated, if God is in control, then why do I have to do anything? Right? So what you're but doing is very cleverly expanding the discussion. And you're saying it's not just about the, you know, little things, little decisions, or little behaviors. It's about the, the life itself. What role does do you, does humanity play in life? Right. If we have free will, then we have a purposeful and meaningful role. If we don't have free will, then we're nothing but pawns, and we therefore we're purposeless, we're meaningless, we're inconsequential, essentially. Right. Whoever's making decisions, that's that's where the importance lies. But if we're not at the point of decision-making, therefore our actions are not really meaningful for us. Thus, our life has no meaning. So you're essentially expanding. It's like if we're just doing and living the life that the Almighty is tailoring for us, then, uh, then okay, then what are we? We're nothing. Then, then the, whole, the meaning only lies in the, in, in, in the, in the hands of he who has an option for not having meaning, right? If if success was guaranteed, then success wouldn't mean anything. Just like uh, if you never had a problem with your digestion, it doesn't mean anything to you, right? right? No one marvels at digestion. Why not? It's the greatest miracle on the planet, if you just think about it for a second. Your, your body is able to consume food and miraculously process it and digest it and separate all the important things that it needs and get rid of the waste. Like, that's mind-blowing. But why is it not a big deal for us? You know why? Because it, we've never imagined life without it. Therefore, it's not meaningful to us. So, if 
if there's no option for it to not happen, then it's not meaningful. Does you that make sense? Given obligations along the way too. You can't just sit on the couch for the year. There's things that we are obligated we need to, to do, right? That we have to do. Okay. I don't know if there's a necessary reward or compensation that's attached to those. I don't think we're allowed to just sit and not use what we're already given in form of reason, rational decision-making abilities and social responsibility. And so what you're saying, Bonnie, is that life does have meaning. We, we have a purpose. Show. We have like, a role, right? Yeah. Exactly. We have a role. Okay. So, so let, 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 let's creep in here. Let's see if there's any real tension here. Okay? Uh, I'll quote you some, some Talmuds here. Uh, in the same book, we know that there's about 63 books in the Talmud. Depends how you count exactly. Um, if you count the Mishnah, there's 63. If you count the Talmud, depends. The Babylonian Talmud, Jerusalem Talmud. Right? Uh, but either way, in the last book of the Talmud, the book is called the Book of Nida. Uh, Nida is um, the laws, we're talking about the laws of purity and impurity. Uh, now, it, uh, it has a, a narrative as follows. Uh, it tells, I'm trying to remember if we ever spoke about this Talmud in this, uh, amongst this group. I don't think so. Maybe we have. Uh, it tells of an angel whose name is Lila. Anyone knows what, knows what Lila means? What does Lila mean? Lila, Lila, Lila means night, right? Lila means night, right? So there's this angel that's called night. When this angel was baby, he would say, oh, good night, good night. Oh, that's a joke, bad joke. That's why, you plan your, that's why you have to plan your jokes. So, um, so there's this angel called Lila. Well, what's this angel's role? This angel takes a drop which is the seed that's going to create human, a, a human, and brings the drop in front of God and presents the drop to God and says, well, this drop, will this drop become a man who is strong or weak? Rich or poor? Intelligent or an imbecile? Which one? That's, the, that, 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 that's what this role of this angel is. However, says the Talmud, he does not ask to the Almighty... Would this person be righteous or wicked? Why is that? Because all is in the hands of heaven aside from fear of heaven. That's what the Talmud says in the book of Nida, 16b. So, what, what this is telling us, that there is some sort of angel, I don't know what angel means, but some sort of spiritual force that asks God or is determined, uh, uh, is part of this uh, narrative where they go and get determined before conception even if the child will be wealthy or poor intelligent or, or not so smart uh, weak feeble or or strong however not their character not their righteousness so let me ask you a question is it determined from this talmud just from this talmud is it determined if someone will be wealthy or poor or not it is that's what it says, right? So if you were quote-unquote lucky, and for whatever reason, the Almighty determined you'll be wealthy, you'll be wealthy. What if the Almighty told you you'll be poor? You'll be poor. Sucks for you, right? Or intelligent or not intelligent, or, you know? 
It's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. And we see, you know, we see people that are sickly, and we see people that are very healthy, strong constitutions. We see kids that, uh, you know, have two steady streams coming down their noses at all times, no matter how much you wipe, it doesn't go away. And other kids, it doesn't matter. They eat sand, they eat, they, they chew soil, and they just that's all they eat. And I have a couple of those. Uh, that's all they eat, and they're fine. Rock solid constitutions, because that's the Almighty made them. So similarly, you would say from this Talmud that this that's the way it is with 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 wealth as well. And the Almighty decides who's be wealthy, who's be poor. Okay. Now let us fast forward to page seventy B in the book of Nida. Same book. Now the fact that it's in the same book should dispel any notions that the authors of the book just lost track of the previous statement. <laughs> Don't say, yeah. Even if it was the other at the other end of the Talmud, that you study a little bit of Talmud, it becomes absolutely clear. These people don't forget. Absolutely, there's no way they forgot a, a clear. But certainly, if it's only a few pages away, it's what the 52, 54 pages away. So what does it say? It says as follows: What should a person do and become wealthy? Ma yase adam What does a person need to do to become wealthy? It's a good question. A lot of people ask the same question. Well, so it gives us. It gives us. <laughs> Tell me. It gives us. Uh, it gives you a formula. What's the formula? Simple. Two things. Do a lot of business, a lot of commerce, and do business with integrity. Sounds pretty simple, right? Well, it continues the Talmud. It says, wait a minute. Many tried this and weren't successful. This has been tried. A lot of people tried to do a lot of business, a lot of commerce, and they do business with integrity, and they still didn't become wealthy. So how do you say that that that, that it's that, that, that this is the formula? This is clearly not the formula. It says tomorrow, rather no, this is a different formula. You have to ask if a seek from he who has all the wealth. And who's that? That's God. Shenemar, as it says, means the verse, that God says, I have all the gold and all the silver. Says the Gemara. If so, then it's about prayer and asking God who has all the money. Well, then why do you tell me to do business, lots of business, and do lots of commerce, and then do business with integrity? Just tell me. We'll just, just cut to the chase. If I just have to ask you. Huh? If I just have to ask you, you're the one with everything. Yeah, yeah. so sa- says the Gemara, what does it mean? Ha, b'loi ha, b'loi One without the other is not possible. One without the other is not possible. Thus, you need to do both. You need to do business, lots of business, business with integrity on one end. On the other hand, you have to also ask from God. So now there's a few questions. Question number one. Wait a minute. You just told me that if someone is wealthy, it's been predetermined before they prayed, before they did business, before they did commerce, before they even, uh, before they even conceived that the angel comes and takes the drop, because the God, they'll be wealthy or poor. And now you're telling me how to become wealthy? Oh, when you're already uh, old enough to do business and commerce, you do business, you do commerce, you do prayer, you do honesty, you do integrity. What's the deal? On the other hand, if God said you're poor, how is it even going to help? How do these two things, how are they compatible? And I think to translate this to our discussion, we see initially on page 16 that it's all about what God determines. And we see on page 70 it's all about what man determines. 
You know, if someone doesn't pray or doesn't do a lot of business, doesn't do a lot of commerce, sits in the proverbial couch, well, then they won't be wealthy. And if someone does, well, they will be wealthy. So which one is it? All is in the hands of heaven, aside from fear of heaven. All. It is. It is. Monetary, material, Does physical, intelligence. He knows the end from the beginning. Does he not? So he, he's outside of time, and being outside of time, he can see every decision that you will make in your life, and therefore he sees you before you were born. You knew me before I was but born. But teaching is a big problem with what you're saying. It's a, there's an enormous glaring and uh, crucial problem. Think about it. Remember the what? entire Talmud. Don't, don't skip. You're, 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 you're looking at it too narrowly. Sorry, we're going to get some water here, guys. Remember Tell what the Talmud also said? What was the punchline of the Talmud? Remember? What was the punchline of the Talmud? Little? Yeah. What was the punchline, TJ? What was the punchline? TJ. On which one? On the Talmud. On which? On that one. The one that you quoted. Go ahead. Wait, well, you said that God determines whether you're going to be rich or poor. No. The punchline was, all is in the hands of heaven, aside from fear of heaven. Thus, what it's saying is that fear of heaven is not known in the same way. If it was just that God knew because God saw the end, well, God would see also the righteousness or wickedness. So clearly it's not, just, it's not just, oh, let's just fast forward to the end. You know, It's like watching, like reading the last five pages of the book before the beginning of the book. And they say, oh, I know who this guy is. I know the villainous. That's what you're proposing, but that's clear as it works. Because if, if we're just working backwards, well, then we would work backwards and we would know everything. We would know their righteous and piety and their wickedness. But could he not know? know. You, so God's outside of time. He knows from the beginning to the end, the end to the beginning, he goes backwards, he knows everything, right? So having that Yeah, well, no, we don't have that understanding because that's beyond our comprehension. It's an entirely different realm. The fact that God is he knows, not of time? huh? Is he not outside of That's time true. That's true. But, but because he's outside of time, he exists simultaneously in in, in twelve sixty six, uh, as much as he exists right now in in twenty fifteen and tomorrow, on August uh, I guess there'll be sixth, right? So could he not also know yeah. every outcome, whether we make a righteous decision or an unrighteous? Decision true. Within our life. To see what that outcome would be if we make this decision today. However, it's not in the hands of heaven. Right. It's but his he wealth, the wealth, he knows all outcomes, no? the wealth is in the hands of heaven, says the Talmud. That is in the hands of heaven. Well, is it in the hands of heaven? Is in the hands of man? Well, if so, could he say you'll be wealthy if you do the right things? Well, it says. Well, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> that's my problem. But that's the second part of the Talmud is saying that God determines you're going to be wealthy. Are you going to be poor? Well, guess what? You're going to be wealthy. You could be poor, too. Because he, didn't he tell David, he told uh, King David, he said, if, if that was not enough, would I have not given you more? So he, David made a mistake. God could have gave him so much more. and would have given him more if he would have just asked for it. But he messed up. So God took that wealth from him. Right? So could it not be the same in this circumstance? If we don't do commerce... So you, you want to say like this. You want to say that 
I, I, I don't like it still, TJ. Um, because you're, you're trying to shoehorn it in, and it's, it doesn't really work necessarily. You're okay. saying that these two are compatible. I don't but think they really are. It doesn't sound like it. sounds like it's in the hands of heaven. It's the guy, the, the, the kid, the kid, what do you call him a kid? He's not even a zygote yet. It's nothing, it's a drop. That we're determining. It's already then, it's determined. You know, it's determined then. Okay. Um, so the simplest reconciliation of these two Talmuds is, I think, the probably the open the opening or the uh, the I would say the the nucleus of really understanding uh, this um, this problem. Uh, so I think the answer is like this. The answer is like is, is that yes, some people, the God takes the the angel takes the drop and says the kid will be wealthy and whatever they do they'll become wealthy. Whether it means that they, whether they give lots of effort or minimal effort, you know, they, whatever they do, they touches the gold. You know, whatever they touch turns into gold. Mm-hmm. They just can't do wrong. And you meet people in life like this, I'm sure. Some people have met people in life like you're people that are enormous wealthy and they just hit the lottery multiple times. <laughs> and, you know, it's just that person is super lucky or the Almighty just loves them or they, it was determined they'd be wealthy and super wealthy on one hand. Well, what if some guy was given the poor lot of being. Right? Literally poor. Well, what then? On that, says the Talmud, what does a person do and become wealthy? Even though you may have a road map for you, you may have a destiny, you may have a, 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 a divine, uh, uh, um, uh, a, a divine, what's the giving your word here, guys? Determination of your poor, uh, you know, just being poor, and you just weak financials, so what? What do you do and change that? How do you change your destiny life? Because, like Bonnie said, our life is meaningful. What happens to us, right, is in our hands. And you know what? If someone was determined that they'll be poor, that is means they'll be poor if they do nothing. However, they could change it. Like the powers of the human is that we have a say in what happens to us. The idea of of image of God. What does that mean? Now, I don't know what image means, right? Image of God is it's a long conversation, but what it does tell us is that there's some sort of commonality between man and God. So, who determines what happens to me in my life? Well, God, of course. Well, who else determines what happens to me in my life? Me. Thus, essentially, it's, it's, the, it's the augmentation of who we really are as a species. You know? We, we are in entities that uh, we, we have a commonality with God that even the angels don't have. And that is that we can change our destiny. We matter. We're consequential. Because right, the Almighty created us in His image. Which means is that the Almighty gives us, gives us free will. Which means that the Almighty says that what we do matters. So we can change what we determine? Oh yeah. That's right. Well, no, we're not changing what's choice. determined. The, what was determined is... Close the door. Uh, what was determined was what would have happened 
unless you, something changed. The, the way that I always thought of it is, I have a job. Yeah. You know, so say God, God gave me an opportunity to, you know, I, and, and I got the job that I have now, right, for, for example. So if I don't come into work and don't do anything, well, I'm going to lose my job. There's a consequence for that. Right. So I have to get up in the morning. I have to come in on time. I have to come in early. I have to work hard. There's action I have to be done with it in order to keep it. So the, the way I, that's kind of like how I see it with, you know, with the, uh, uh, you know, that God gave us the Torah. You know, he gave it to us. It's a responsibility. Now what we do with it is, is our choice, you know. Not just could, it, it's a, there's you that. You don't do it, then, like I said, you, you don't do it, then there's there's a consequence for that. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's I think it's both. It's, it's I don't know. It's both, but what does that elevate our status to? It elevates our status that we are partners with God. Right. And by the way, I have sources to back this, which is incredible. We put wheat on the on the earth, but we make bread. But it wouldn't grow exactly. And it wouldn't grow. It's, it's you know right. the because there was no there's no prayer. There was no man to. There's no man to sow exactly, to sow. right? That is what we are. And it's remarkable uh, that that we are partnering with God in determining what happens in the world. When I saw this topic, the first thing that came to my mind was the joke about the guy who the floods coming. Oh. Oh yeah. Did you remember this? Or the guy who... Uh, evacuating, and he's like, no, 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 God will save me, and then the waters come up, and the fire trucks come yeah, out, yeah. and you need to evacuate. The boat comes, no, 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 I'm good. The helicopter comes, no, 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 I'm good. And he dies. And I was like, I sent the evacuation team, I sent the bullet, I sent the helicopter. <laughs> you know, you have to take a role in it, too. You've got all those right. tools, but you have to take action and act responsibly through this process as well. You can't just sit. Absolutely. I was, was uh, I had a, I had a similar joke later oh, sorry, on. Chambers. <laughs> no pro no problem. I had the joke it, it, my variant was uh, the guy was looking for a parking spot. And then like it's crazy he's late for the meeting, whatever. And then the car pulls out and it's like, Okay God, I got one. You know, you, you don't have to worry about it. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so like this. So I, I think that we, we, we're kind of, we're, we're, hitting, we're hitting something. And I want to take it a little deeper because I, there's more nuance here. I found there's, there's, you know, there's, there's more subtleties here. Uh, let's talk about um, a story with, uh, with Joseph. So we know uh, Joseph, very eventful individual, uh, very uh, intriguing adolescent. Uh, so he has this this he has this conflict with his brothers and he's sold to Egypt and then in Egypt he's sold as a slave and then his master's wife tries to seduce him and he ends up in prison and then he's there languishing in prison all alone until the pharaohs cupbearer and uh, cupbearer and baker end up as cellmates everyone's familiar with the story and of course he interprets their dreams and he tells him that in three days it'll be Pharaoh's birthday, Pharaoh's going to hang one of you guys and reinstate the other one. That's the story. And then the last verse of the Parsha, it says, Parsha is by Yeshiv, that is, it says that Joseph tells the, uh, the butler, the cupbearer, he says, you should know when you get reinstated, don't forget me. Don't forget me. I'm sitting here myself, he's been there for years and years and years. 
languishing for a crime he did not commit. And he tells him, when you get the ear of Pharaoh, put in a good word for me, let him commute my sentence. And the next verse is, it was two years later. Well, what happened? He forgot him. He forgot him. <laughs> and the verse says, he didn't remember him and he forgot him. Which means, why, why would it repeat it? It means he, he uh, first you know, didn't remember it when it was fresh, and then he just forgot it. But either way, we find a very interesting Talmud. It says like this. The reason why Joseph had to have another two years of incarceration, and it was two years later, was because of the sin that Joseph did. Now, where's the sin that Joseph did? That Joseph relied on the cupbearer. Joseph put his reliance, put his trust in something other than God. And he said to, said to don't tell Pharaoh, you know, tell Pharaoh about me, and don't forget me, right? And, and, and bring my cause up to Pharaoh, and by doing that, Joseph sinned, and therefore, he had to spend two more years in prison. Now, wait a minute. What's the deal? It doesn't, doesn't seem in line with what we would think. You, you know, we would say is that, you know what, if you have to do whatever you can. So how is it possible that Joseph is being punished for, uh, for not doing his due diligence? I would think that, you know, Joseph did the right thing, don't you think? It seems, it seems proper, you know. What would God want you to do? Well, God wants our lives to be meaningful. We want to be partners with God and all that, right? On one, you know, that's what we've been saying till now. Yet Joseph is being punished for relying on someone else. So, you know, what's the deal with that? Maybe because he was doing one side of the two-part formula. He was doing the business with honesty, but he wasn't. Oh, so you were saying you're saying that he 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 should have spoken he should have spoken to the cupbearer, but in his head he should have also thought about God or prayed to God. Yeah, so it's it's it seemed like Joseph was also punished. Wasn't that Joseph just didn't earn it? He was punished. So he did something wrong. It wasn't like just suboptimal. It was. It was. It was bad. It's a punishment. Two years late. Two years incarceration was. Um, seems yeah. I th- I think that there's there's room to say what you say. I know that the commentators when they talk about this, they try to figure out uh, exactly what did Joseph do wrong. Uh, I have written down over here in my notes that. Um, That um, he, Rabbi Nubachia, the uh, the great uh, medieval commentator, he says that of course he relied on uh, on God, but he assumed that it was his job to seek a solution. So essentially, he relied on God for um, kind of actualizing, or, or or at least for overseeing his redemption, but he said, you know what, let me also get this guy involved because maybe this will be the path that God will use. When Joseph should have not, should have said, God, God will find a path. You know, this, 
There's lots of ways for God. God doesn't, God doesn't need your direction to show, you know, to try, you know, to show, you know, to try to uh, uh, you know, illuminate the way like they do in airplanes. How are you going to get out? God knows how to take you out. Uh, but w- which seems to maybe fly in the face a little bit about what we've been saying till now. And that is that, no, you have to try to navigate yourself a place. So what's the deal? Additionally, you guys another example of this. See what you think about this. Uh, this is from the uh, the Mishnah and the Talmud in Sota. Sota is likewise a book in the Talmud. And it's what happens in a case of a suspected adultery. And it mentions at the end, there's an entire laundry list of things that happened once certain milestones were met. Uh, so, for example, it says when Rebbe died, who's Rebbe? Rebbe's the rabbi. Well, which rabbi? There's lots of rabbis. Well, Rebbe Yudha Nasi, excellent. Rebbe Judah the prince. Uh, whenever you see in any Talmudic or Mishnahite literature uh, the word Rebbe, rabbi, um, unless it's a pronoun um, in, a, in a conversation, it's referring to one rabbi. Why? The rabbi of the entire Jewish people. Because the role of Rabbi Judah the prince was so significant in saving the Jewish people that the Jewish people like collectively adopted him as the official rabbi of the Jewish people. So what does it say? By the way, he was one who organized the Mishnah. Uh, what it says is that when he died, there was no longer true humility. When he died, he, true humility was abolished. Why? Because he was the last one who had true humility. Milestone, what happened? It also says, it gives a bunch of examples. When this person died, that happened. When this person died, that happened. In, incidentally, uh, uh, the Talmud has a problem. It says, uh, one of the rabbis said, how could you say that when Rebbe died, humility ceased, but I'm still around? Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> that's, that's what the Gemara says. So, uh, which we would perhaps think is contrary to humility. But maybe we're wrong. Maybe, right. maybe our interpretation of humility is wrong. Even though some of the commentators do mention this point that, okay, saying that you're the most humble person around or that you're a truly humble person maybe is not a humble yeah. thing. But he clearly didn't think so. And he's not just an after. It's not a joke. It's not like this is the, you know, the, the, this is the, uh, the comics section of the Talmud. Um, so we may have to re-examine what humility actually means. But either way, what it says is like this. It says, when the temple was destroyed, they were no longer men of complete faith. So if you say today, I'm a man of complete faith in God, you know what I say? I say the Talmud says, no, you're not. You're maybe partial faith. But no one has complete faith. Why? Because the Talmud says, when the temple's destroyed, there's no longer at that point in time, there's been a degradation in kind of the quality or the nature of the Jewish character, and therefore there's no longer people of complete faith. Now, should you ask the question, well, quantify that. What does it mean complete faith? What does it mean partial faith? What does that mean? What does it mean to be a man of complete faith? What does it mean to be a man of partial faith? What's the difference? Because the Talmud... A person who has complete faith is someone who has bread in his basket today 
and says, what am I going to eat tomorrow? That's a man of complete faith. And those kind of people that have such total faith in God, that they have food for today, and they don't even say, what am I going to eat tomorrow? Don't even think about it. What am I going to eat tomorrow? What do you mean? I have food today. I don't have to worry about tomorrow. I'm not hungry now. If you're not hungry now, what do you have to worry about anything in the future? That's a man of complete faith. And anyone that has breakfast, has zero dollars in the bank account, has zero assets, and has no lunch, and is worried slightly, what am I going to eat? What am I going to feed my kids? Right? That worry is a sign of a lack of faith. Says the Torah. Now, well, what does that tell us? That seems to once again be in line of the fact, you know, that Joseph is someone who maybe didn't have complete faith because he was worried about what's going to be in the future. What do you mean? What are you going to be worried about? We have God to rely on. What are you worried about? That's what it seems like. Uh, on the other hand, what else do we see? Right, we see on one hand that ideally, if you have food today, you shouldn't worry about what's going to be tomorrow. That's what we see. What else do we see from this Talmud? So if someone worries about what they're going to eat tomorrow, if they have no food for tomorrow, just food for today, they're not men of complete faith. But what else do we see? You know what else we see? We see that such people disappeared when the temple was destroyed. <laughs> so what we see is that, yes, there's this level of faith that exists, but it ain't for us. And for us, right, we're not held to that standard. And we're not expected to, to have that standard. And that level of faith is not, is not indeed in the requirements for our. This is like a dichotomy, right? Because you can't, you know, if you're saying that, if the Talmud's saying that um, even having that personal concern for one's next meal... Kind of exactly what we were saying before, in that you have to employ some of your own faculties to make so, your own way in the world. So you have food for tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. So you, you you go to work, so you get paid you know X amount of times in the month. So you you're trying to make an argument? No, well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. So so not an argument. I'm just so no so so. so not an argument. It just sounds like we're saying yeah. Well, it's like, Size of it. I think you can become irresponsible. Huh? I mean, I think it's kind of. That's what you think. Yeah. Okay, but then that's what I would think as well. And that's probably what a lot of people have thought post post the temple. But there is this idea, and it did exist at one point in time, that the men of faith they wouldn't worry about what would happen tomorrow. That that's that's what it says. There were such people. So, but but our thought is, what you're saying is, I have to go to work. Faith comes in because eh, I'm going to work for him. I mean, he. Well, I need a different job then. Right? <laughs> 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 I 
center of my mind when I'm going to the office. You know, but yeah. So it kind of goes back to that. That that's the complete faith is to just say, I do everything that I do for the sake of heaven, and I don't worry about anything else. I want to tell you guys another 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 story here. I got another story for you. So um, there is this uh, Mishnah in the book uh, chapters of the fathers that says um, that says if there is no flower there is no Torah so what does that mean you don't have flower you don't have Torah flower is spelled F-L-O-U-R if there's no flower there's no Torah that's what it says so what it, no, well, the simple understanding is if you don't have food, you can't study. That's, that's a simple understanding, right? If you don't, if you don't have food, you can't study. How who should study if your stomach's growling? If you're in hunger, if you're hunger, okay, how should you study? That's the simple understanding. Uh, however, there's a big question on the t- on the Mishnah. What should it have said? If you don't have Well, it actually does say that, but it but it says you don't have flower, you sh- you don't have Torah. What it should have said is if you don't have bread, yeah. If you don't have bread, you have no Torah. If you don't have food, you have no Torah. Why does it say no flower? So I once said a, I, I once said as var Torah that, um, you know, what does it mean someone has flour? It means that they have bread for today and flour for tomorrow. So I think what the Mishnah is actually saying is that if you do not have some degree of peace of mind, not only for today's meal, but also for tomorrow's meal, you can't study Torah. Mm-hmm. Of course. Okay. <laughs> uh, that, that's what I, th- I, I think the, the, the Talmud is saying. The, the Mishnah is saying. And I think what it's, what it's telling us is that if you, don't, if you do not have tomorrow's meal... Uh, in place, then you're not going to be able to study Torah today. Now, what about men of complete faith? To them, if they had food today, they're good to go. They don't have to worry about tomorrow. But for us, we're not talking, I'm not talking to men of complete faith. No offense to anyone (laughs) present. (laughs) Uh, But present company is not men of complete faith. So says the Talmud. Therefore, for us, what's demanded of us? What's demanded of us is partial faith. Well, what does that mean? Where is the point where my faith takes over? To what point must I worry? And to what point can I say, at what point must I say, that's God's responsibility? Someone who, the man of complete faith, what happened? What happens to man of complete faith? That's someone who says, I have food right now. Why am I even thinking about what's going to be later on? Well, you're going to be hungry. So what? Let that be God's headache. A man of complete faith is someone who is able to unload or offload all of his physical needs and necessities to God. Outsource it. So when we worry, we take that upon ourselves. When we worry, when we're not impartial faith, we say, you know what? I have to take, I, I, I'm worried about that myself. 
What's going to be down the line? You know, what's going to be with my kids' college tuition, fun, retirement? So you're you know, God, so maybe today, at we're at the point that we need to worry about what's going to be when we're seventy-three years old. But what's happened afterwards? Well, that we're lying, God. You can't make all these plans. Well, that, that we're lying, God. My point is, is that there's this, some sort of scale here. That for us, for us. To rely on God is also important. However, sorry, uh, we also have to rely on God. It's okay, no problem. We also have to rely on God. However, do we have to rely on God entirely? That's not demanded of us. We're not at that level. Those kind of people don't exist anymore. So where is the point where we're going to stop relying on on ourselves or other factors, and we're going to start relying on God. Things you can't control. I don't know, man. I don't know what it is, but there's some sort of level where is this demarcation zone or this 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 uh, demilitarized zone where me my reliance on my own factors that I can control or factors that I can manipulate uh, they stop, and then I say, like, you know what? From then on, I can worry. Let God worry about that. Something so remote, like uh, you know, let like uh, what's going to be I don't know in ten years from now financially, like that. Okay, that's so far down the line. Who knows what's going to let that, 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 you know? I have food for ten years. I'm going to worry what's going to be in ten and a half years. No, I got food for ten years. I'm good to go. Right afterwards, let the Almighty Almighty take care of it. Yeah. So there is this point at which my self reliance right, allows uh, for God to take over. And that is how you would value my faith. My faith, every individual's faith, is the point at which they're allow, they allow God to be in control. So essentially, what makes this such a fascinating discussion is that it's not clear-cut, cut and dried in any way. It's entirely dependent on who you are as an individual. For Joseph, the great individual that he was, for him... He should have been a man of complete faith. A man of complete faith does not worry at all about anything. No worries. You don't have food for tomorrow? Not worried. Well, why not? What are you for your kids? I, I don't know. Whatever God's going to give me. That level of faith, if you, could, if you actually feel like that, if you actually behave like that, if you're able to do it, great. You're a man of complete faith. You realize that the Almighty is really tending to you on an individual level, one-on-one. If you have any hesitations, well, you're not a man of complete faith. If you feel any palpitations about that, well, then that's, that's obviously you're not holding there. You're worried about it. If you're worried about it, you're not relying on God. If you're not relying on God, then you're not, your, your faith is, 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 not, is not complete. And that's not the worst thing in the world. But for Joseph, for him to try to calculate what's going to be tomorrow when this guy gets reinstated and, and how to try to manipulate the situation in ways that I can maybe foresee... Well, that's an act of lack of faith. And for, for Joseph, on his level, he should have had complete faith. He didn't have complete faith, he gets punished. So essentially, I, I think that the, 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 the true answer to this problem is that it's not really one entity. It's not really one thing. Yes, in life, we're going to partner with God in what happens. What happens to us as individuals, what happens to our families, what happens to the world, it's going to be some sort of mix of what God wants and what we do or what we bring about. 
and that's going to be uh, entirely in the, you know in in uh, areas of spirituality, but also in areas of physical phys- physicality and, and materialism. There's going to be a point in which we're going to work towards, we're going to put in our effort, we're going to do our due diligence, etc. We're going to put in the long hours, and then there's a point in which that's going to take over. Uh, and the, uh, the, the greater the person is, right, that's reflected in how much reliance they have on God. Now, I want to point out here, and I, I mentioned this, um, I guess, kind of in the course of what I said, it's, it's a very important point to stress. Some people, right, when they don't have the proverbial food for tomorrow, they say, we'll rely on God. You get this a lot. I've seen a lot of this. I don't know if you have. If you haven't, I, I know a lot of people I can introduce you to. Rely on God. Now, really, they're not relying on God. That's just it's just it's just a religious crutch, so to speak. Where it's not really relying on God. If you're relying on God, you want to you would be totally calm, as if you have a hundred million dollars in your bank account. That's how calm you have to be, because you're not you're relying. It's, it's done. It's taken care of. If you are so nervous. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Okay, we're lying God. Okay, fine. But what are we going to do? You know? That's not really relying on God. If you feel like in any way this is on your shoulders, then you're obviously not relying on God. And then your faith is not complete. Nothing wrong with that necessarily. But don't go over, don't, don't go and tout yourself as relying on God when in reality you're relying on yourself, it's just that you don't have a solution, so you say, okay, let God take care of it, but I'm so worried. Because it's still, if it still weighs you down, it's clearly on your shoulders as well. I want to give you guys a, a, a passage here that I uh, took out of the... I took out of the... Um, the Chinuch. If y'all remember, in this very same room, we spoke about the Chinuch in the... The Chinuch is one of the great commentators... Uh, of the middle medieval ages, and he wrote a book of the six hundred and thirteen mitzvahs. The word chinuch means education in Hebrew. Thus, the Ministry of Education in in Israel is called Misrad Hachinuch. When you want to educate your children, you want to give them good chinuch. So, the book called the chinuch or the chinuch, that book uh, has in it the collection of all the mitzvahs and enumerates all the mitzvahs. But it also gives you a flavor and feeling and philosophy and reasons behind the mitzvah. Now, there's a mitzvah in the book of Deuteronomy. We'll read it in a couple of weeks. That everyone should make a fence around the roof. If you have a roof, make sure there's a fence there. Why? Because if you don't have a fence, someone's going to fall over, right? Right? If someone's on the roof, well, that's what you would. Potentially. Well, I'm saying uh, in an apartment building. So it says like this. And he, he really grapples with this problem. Even though the Almighty supervises us personally. He talks about this a lot. The idea of individual uh, supervision. And all that happens to us, good or bad, is a result of his decree and command. So on one hand, we're just totally at the mercy of the Almighty. And as our sages taught, it quotes the famous Talmud in the book of Chulin. Uh, a person cannot bend his finger from below unless it is thus decreed from above. 
something as simple as bending your finger, that you can't do it on your own. You need God's help. Huh? Unless a person cannot bend his finger, his finger from below, which is, means on planet Earth, unless it's the, that's the care for tree for a bud. Still, a person must guard himself from common happenings of the world. Even though we're at the mercy of the Almighty, we'll still think we've got to put up the fence. Why? For the Almighty created his, his world and built it on the foundations of the pillars of nature. And he decreed that fire combusts and water extinguishes a flame. And likewise, nature demands that if a large boulder falls on the head of a man, that his head must be smashed. Or if a person falls off a roof of a building, that he will die. So the Almighty kind of, also kind of, it seems like he, out, he created a way, an order of how the world works. And the world works when someone falls off a building, like, they're going to die. The Almighty also endowed the bodies of men and blew into their nostrils the souls of life capable of intelligence to guard the body from all danger. So when you know that there's hazards, there's dangers, you avoid them. And place both the body and soul uh, in, the, in the world uh, and they uh, and 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 they ought to direct him and, and cause upon them actions, and because the Almighty subjugated the body of man to nature, therefore he demanded man to protect from accidents. So he's explaining this mitzvah. This mitzvah. There's a mitzvah to put the seatbelt on and to eat healthy and to put the roof, put put the uh, the uh, fence around the roof, etc. Because you have to protect yourself from accidents. Otherwise, what happens if you don't? Nature to whom he is subjected. Who's he? Man, mankind will do as per the rules, uh, if, if as per its rules, if he does not protect himself from him. However, this is what I wanted to get to. There will be a select few that due to their piety and cleaving to the Almighty's ways, the king desires them. These are the great righteous from yesteryear, men of renown, like our great and holy forefathers, and many of their descendants who came afterwards, like Daniel, Hanani, Mishael, Nazariah, uh, to whom he subjected nature to them. The paradigm is the opposite. Nature is subjected to them. In their beginning, they too were subjected to nature, but at their ends, due to the greatness of the ascension of their soul, it was reversed, and they became masters over, the, over nature. As we know, with Abram's famous story in the Midrash, our forefather was cast into a fiery furnace and was not injured, and the four pious ones that we mentioned were thrown into a pit of fire, and their hair was not singed. However, as a result of their sin, the majority of people do not merit this great level, and therefore the Torah commands us to guard our dwellings and places to prevent negligent death. He gives more examples. We have to prepare ourselves for battle. Why, why do you have to fight a war? Who needs an army? If we're going to win, we're going to win, we're going to lose, we're going to lose. Well, no, because we're not perfect. So what it's essentially telling us is the point that we, we, we kind of concluded um, uh, a little bit earlier. And that is that, yes, it's possible for someone to live on the realm of God being in total control. But they have to earn it. How do you earn it? By growing. By having your soul grow. When your soul, your soul grows and you become closer to the Almighty, then it's, you get the greater faith, and the greater faith, then you actually earn the greater kind of reality. So when the person who was a man of complete faith, who had food today, didn't have food for tomorrow, was not worried. Well, what would ha- what happened tomorrow? What would happen the next day? God took care of him. Because they relied on God completely. That's why God 
completely took care of them. And now if you rely on yourself and on God partially, well, God will partially take care of you. Exactly what you put in, you take out. Well, not, no, it's not saying that. If we live that, right, uh, then then God uh, will actually take care of us completely. Now, I want to say a cool story here. Uh, there was a guy. These notes for next time here. Um, there was a individual um, who came to Rabbi Israel Salanter in the nineteen. Uh, 19- I'm sorry, 1800s, and he said to him, I'm very poor, and I want the Almighty to give me, to take care of me. Almighty loves me, let him take care of me. Um, And how am I going to do it? I'm going to buy a lottery ticket. And I want to have complete faith, I'm going to have complete faith, Uh, will I win the lottery? Rabbi says, you know what, if you have complete faith in God, you win the lottery. 100%, if you have complete faith that the Almighty will make this winning ticket, 100%, no doubts, then you'll win it. The guy was like, okay, fine, I have complete faith. And then the next day, Rabbi Salanter came over to him and said, you know what, the winning ticket, I'd like to buy it. Can I buy it for half the jackpot? The guy says, it's a $1 jackpot, I don't know, $500,000. It's only, I bought it for $1. Of course I'll sell it to you. He's like, ah, you don't really believe that it's worth $500,000. You don't really believe it's a winning ticket. You don't really believe in it, so it won't be the winning ticket. Thus, if we have complete faith in the Almighty, then the Almighty will be completely in charge of us and we have to worry about anything. We're a man of complete faith and therefore, what happens tomorrow? We get the food. Well, how does it work? Well, God tends to us individually. You don't have to worry. God, if your dad was a billionaire, would you be worried what you can do tomorrow? Let's say you had zero dollars in your account, but your dad's a billionaire. You worried about what you're going to eat tomorrow? No. Why not? You have zero dollars in your account. Well, your dad's a billionaire. Okay, let's say you have zero dollars in your account today. Your dad, the Almighty, is not a billionaire, he's a trillionaire. You can worry about what you need tomorrow? No. Why would you worry about what you need tomorrow? Because we don't really believe that God's a billionaire or a trillionaire. We don't really, 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 really believe it. Or we don't really believe that he's our father. Whatever it is, there's some sort of lapse in faith. We don't really, 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 really believe it. Right? We don't have complete faith. Therefore, if we don't have food for tomorrow, we're freaking out. No son of a billionaire freaks out, of a, of a human billionaire that is, freaks out if they have no money in their account and no food for tomorrow prepared. We only freak out because we don't really believe. And our lapse of faith means that, okay, God doesn't treat us really like a billionaire dad. Thus, to the degree in which we're able to achieve that level of faith, that's the degree of reality that God plays a role in what happens to us. Uh, it's all commensurate to what we put into it. Now, some more sources here. Got a whole bunch more sources. Um, go ahead. Those people who just can't do 
wrong. What do you mean you can't be wrong? What, so the people that... Okay, so... always be fine. Yeah, so we, uh, we have people like that. Um, and the question is, is that better off? Are they better off or not? Um, I think that we have a corollary. What's the corollary? The corollary is... What's the uh, doppelganger? Remember that whole doppelganger craze? Yeah. What's the doppelganger? The doppelganger is uh, in Genesis, the serpent. What's the serpent going to eat? Everyone remembers? He eats the dust. He is essentially given a guarantee that he'll never, ever, 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 ever go hungry. Because there's almost there's no place he can't find dust. He always he, he, <laughs> gravity guarantees dust. So what's the, that seems like a blessing. Don't you think? Seems like a blessing. Yet it's not really a blessing because, well, you don't have the opportunity to have that other way of achieving wealth. And that would be via actually getting God involved and having a relationship. But even let's assume that someone is, 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 is just wealthy by just, it just happens, you know? That doesn't guarantee that they cannot have a relationship with God. It's going to be more difficult, though, wouldn't it? No, because the relationship with God could be entirely in, in spiritual matters. Or they could, have, they could also have faith that whatever happens to them is still ordained by God, and it's just, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just natural. You don't have to work really hard. Okay, fine, great. And you're thankful and appreciative of that, and you recognize that it's all from God, and then wonderful. Uh, I want to talk to you later a little bit about um, some more sources. I want to skip some sources here because I don't want. This is one of them I really, really like here. Um, you know, let me give you the. I'll give you some more sources here. Uh, the Talmud in Brachos. Brachos is the very first of the books of the Talmud, and it talks about Brachos. What does Brachos mean? Brachos means blessings. Well, it's like a book, the book discusses blessings and prayer, amongst other things. And it says, It is not the way of a man to seek medical help. Someone's sick, it's improper for them to go to the doctor. Right? Why? Because they might not take care of you. Jews that they so behaved. Because people relied on doctors, that's why they need to go to the doctors and can't rely on God. It's the same principle we said till now. It means ideally, if we all had complete faith, then we wouldn't need to go to the doctor. Why? Because we have complete faith. Right? We're living at this higher level that God takes care of our breakfast tomorrow. Right? The Almighty God is the billionaire dad and the one who has the complete control of our health. Who needs to go to the doctor? Why do you need to go to the doctor? But we decided to go to the doctors. Therefore, we kind of kick God out of the equation. And therefore, we need to go to the doctors. Because we don't get treated in that same, in that same manner. And that's what the Talmud initially says. And then Abayi comments 
he quotes from Rabbi Ishmael that don't say that we shouldn't go to the doctors. Why? Because the verse says, and he shall surely heal. And from there, the, Talmud, the, Torah, the Torah is telling us that, we, that a doctor has permission to administer medicine. So we say that it's as if the Torah is telling us that we ought to go to the doctor. So the question is, what's the ideal? Should we go to the doctor or not? So on one hand, we have one verse that says we should go to the doctor, according to Rabbi Shmuel. And just remember that name. I just said that name because it's very important to remember for the next source. Rabbi Ishmael, Rabbi Ishmael says, go to the doctor, that's the will of God. Uh, on the other hand, we have this other thing with other position that says, no, don't go to the, the only reason why we need to, need to go to the doctor is because we decided to go to the doctor. If we just rely completely on God, then we don't need to go to the doctor. We caused this hassle of Obamacare for ourselves. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Let us get go down that wormhole and emerge three hours later. Uh, and then we find an additional Talmud. This is one of the probably the crucial Talmuds that discuss this issue. And it says as follows: and we quote in the we read in the in the Shema. Vasafta de Ganecha, you're going to gather in your grain. You're going to harvest your grain. Now, the Torah doesn't say extra words, and the Talmud says, wait a minute, what's the point of telling us you're going to gather in your grain? Well, what else are you going to leave it out there? You're going to bring home your shopping bags, take them out of your trunk. You know that when you make a big, you made a big purchase at the grocery store, and you did all the work and did all the aisles, and you, know, you want someone else to take the bags in? But no, no, one, no one ever considers they should leave the bags outside, right? Says the Torah, ta- 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 you should gather in your bags. Gather in your grain. What does that mean? Of course you gather in your grain. We can leave it outside? Leave it, let it wither away? Why should you gather in the grains? So says the Talmud, the purpose for it saying is that, saying is that what happens if someone is busy in the field? What do they neglect? What can they potentially neglect? If they're in the field, they neglect their Torah study. And we know that, that we cannot neglect our, our, our Torah study. So well, what is it? Should we have to study Torah, we have to take in the grain. So we say that even though we, have, we cannot neglect the Torah study, we still have to work in the field. Gather in your grain. Don't say, I'm going to sit and study Torah, and the grain and the food and the, the livelihood will take care of itself. That you can't say. Gather your grain. This seems very much like Rabbi Ishmael, right? Go to the doctor, gather your grain. Even has the same sing song. <laughs> gather your grain, be grain name for a band. Um, and and who says that? By the way, these are the words of Rabbi Ishmael. So we see in two parts of the Talmud, Rabbi Ishmael says this kind of the same thing. He says the Torah says go to the doctor. The Torah says gather your grain. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says, someone comes in this case, and what does he say? If a person plows during the time for plowing, and plants during the season of planting, and harvests during the harvest season, and grinds in grinding season, and winnows during the time of the wind, what will become of the Torah? So Rabbi Shimon says, wait a minute. Okay, well, gather, you know, you want to gather, you say, you say we should gather the grain. Well, what about everything else that goes into being a farmer? You're busy the entire year. Right. 
Okay. You're you're plowing and then you're planting and then you're then you're then you're um you're harvesting, you're grinding and you're winnowing. You're busy the whole time. So when are you gonna study Torah? Rather, what you should do when Israel is doing the will of the Almighty, then their work is done by others. Study Torah. Don't worry about it. Let the work be done by others. You don't have to you don't have to be in charge of the work. Someone else is taking care of the relying God. You're the billionaire dad. Are you worried about what you're gonna eat tomorrow? You're trying to strap together, look, shake out uh, couch cushions to try to find cash for tomorrow's meal? Don't worry about it. They might not take care of you. However, when Israel is not doing the will of the Almighty, then the work is done by themselves, and additionally, work of others is done by them. Thus, we see once again a disagreement. Rabbi Ishmael says both times that you should, seems like a little bit more pragmatically, at least from our perspective, that you have to go to the doctor and, you know, gather in your grains. Uh, and Rabbi Shimon says, no, don't worry about it, study Torah, pray, and food, what do you worry about food? Well, let the Almighty take care of it. Now, let us learn a little bit more about Rabbi Shimon. Who knows a famous episode of Rabbi Shimon? What do we know about Rabbi Shimon? Anyone knows? A famous Rabbi Shimon Barachai. Anyone heard that name before? Maybe. Yes, what do we know about him? Huh? Okay, well, what, what about him? Any details? Anyone knows any details of his life? So he was someone that was uh, persecuted and uh, was teaching Torah uh, at a time when the Romans said, don't teach Torah, and he ended up hiding. And who knows what... Let, let, let's, let's read the story here. Very long story here. Huh? Well, no, I'm sorry. He wasn't hiding. Sorry, what did it say? I forgot. I mean, I, I'm going to spend stuff. I think I spent stuff last time as well. Uh, there, were, there was a discussion between some of the rabbis about the Romans. And one of the rabbis said, how beautiful are the actions of the Romans? They established marketplaces, and they built bridges, and they established public bathhouses. So they're such a wonderful people. As you may well know, the Jews had a very tortured relationship with the, with the Romans. That's what Rabbi Yehuda says. Yehuda says they're wonderful. Rabbi Yossi, he was quiet. He didn't say anything. And what did Rabbi Shun say? He said everything they did, they didn't do for our benefit, they did it for themselves. They established marketplaces to make brothels. They established uh, um, um, uh, bathhouses to, to, to luxuriate themselves. And they established gay, uh, bridges, they built bridges to collect taxes. They're not benefiting us at all. So there was one guy who heard it and he went and he would tattletale to the Romans. And the Romans said as follows, Rabbi Yehuda, the first rabbi who spoke praise of, uh, of the Romans, he should have his status upgraded. And he became like the speaker of the house of the Jewish people, basically. He was in charge. Rabbi Yossi, who was quiet, he should be exiled, sent to Tzipori, sent him north. And Rabbi Shimon, who, uh, who embarrassed the Romans, he's going to be executed. So what happened? They went and they hid. First they were hiding um, in one place. Uh, there was some woman giving them food every day. And then they were worried. They said, well, what if we get caught? They went and they hid in a cave. 
and they wore their clothes. Well, this is what they said. The Talmud described what they did in their times. They came, Rabbi, Ju- Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his son Rabbi Lazar. Uh, they would they submerge themselves in sand, and they only wore their clothing on Shabbat. And it says that there was a miracle. That a tree sprouted right outside the, their uh, their cave, a carob tree, and they ate carobs. And also, a stream of water came right right by the cave. So they had food, and then they had they had drink, and that's how they sustained themselves in the cave for twelve years. And what happens after twelve years? Uh, they got the information, um, also in a miraculous fashion. That those that wanted to kill you, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai, they are no longer coming after you. If you come out, he comes out. There's a whole fiasco. What happens? He comes out after been studying in himself in a cave with a son, with himself, with him and his son. I've been studying in a cave for twelve years. They come out and they see people like working on their fields and like not thinking about God and and like everywhere Rabbi Shimon looks like there's a fire. It, yeah. Um, either way, that's Rabbi Shimon. So Rabbi Shimon is someone who actually lived the life that he espoused. He was someone who actually said, who actually demonstrated, I'm going to stay in a cave. Well, there's no, there's no food. You're going to die in a week. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm the son of a billionaire. I'm a man of complete faith. Right? I am... The mind will take care of me. I'm never worried. And you know what? The next morning he woke up and he went out for breakfast. And he, he wasn't shocked that there was a tree there. Of course there's a tree there. You, when you wake up in the morning in this, well, not you, but um, I don't pressure anyone here, but <laughs> if someone were to wake up in the morning and find a bowl of cereal, let's not overshoot what we could ask for breakfast, right? I was going to say pancakes. And like, if you find a bowl of cereal in, in your closet, are you shocked? No, you're not shocked because that's yeah, of course. You wake up in the morning, it's there. So Rabbi Rabbi Shimon Bar came out and he saw a carob tree. Was he shocked? No, was he lying God? And then he says, "The people they're going to spend their time working for food. Why don't you work for food? Lying God, you don't have to worry about it." And. Rabbi Yishmael, who argues with him, I, I bet he, he knows the story. And I'm sure he agrees that this is possible. But that's not who, who most people are. And in fact, the Talmud concludes their original argument of what to do should you gather the grain or not. And it says, many people did like Rabbi Yishmael and succeeded. However, people that did, many people did like Rabbi Shimon and did not succeed. Thus, the only person that could say, I'm going to not worry about what I'm going to eat. And not worry about what I'm going to eat tomorrow. I'm not worried about what I'm going to eat by not going to the field. I'm not worried about what I'm going to eat by being in the cave. That's someone who actually believes that the Almighty is in total control over, over, over what's going to happen to them. Should we strive for that, though? To the best that we can. Uh, but for most people, some people try that. It didn't work. Why didn't it work for them? 
You know why they work for them? Because they, they don't get that kind of treatment unless they're actually at that kind of level. You know, so if they were to be in the cave and they were to have any hesitation at all, have any doubt, skepticism about whether or not breakfast was prepared for them in a barren wasteland, then they wouldn't have any breakfast prepared for them. And indeed, most people, they cannot live in the level of Rabbi Rabbi Shimon himself. So, um, I I think that we could say um, in in kind of conclusion is that, yes, it's it's not really a clear-cut issue. Uh, I think on one hand, we have to rely on God, of course, uh, on the other hand, no one could say that we could ignore what it is that we need to do. Well, which one is it? Well, it's kind of both. Um, there is this ideal that we have to be aware of, that it's possible to have some sort of complete dedication and commitment and acceptance and peace with the knowledge that God is in total control. And you know what? The more that you have that realization, the more that God's treatment of you is going to reflect that. Uh, so therefore you actually don't need to rely so much. And the more worried you are, well, the more worried you are, well, then the more worried you'll have to be. And, of course, like you said, uh, uh, Tom, that we have to constantly strive to improve and increase in the areas of faith that uh, in our lives. That's what life's about. Well, how do we do that? Well, Obviously, this is a deal. We know we'll never reach men of complete faith. That's probably not. That's probably beyond our reach. But we can get closer. I don't know how close we can get. We can get closer. Well, how do we get closer? I think. Well, yes, of course. That that's that's the the one solution that helps in every area. I think additionally, besides the Torah study, you would talk about. You know, we talk about uh, blessings that we do. And what's a blessing about? It's a testimony to God being in total control and dominion over everything. It's essentially an act of complete faith. We may not be men of complete faith, but the more acts of complete faith we do, the closer we get. Faith until you make it. Is that right? If you act with faith, well, then you become, that eventually permeates into to, to who you really are. So every time someone does a blessing, they are doing an act of complete faith. They are testifying that this is from God. You're about to eat, drink something, it's from God. You testify to that with a blessing. Mm-hmm. Now, whether you believe it or not, whether you really, really, really believe it completely, you know, that's not necessarily abundantly clear. Who knows? Uh, because you do thank the uh, farmer, and we do thank the people that transport it. We do think about all the other steps in the way. We think about the plowing, and the planting, and the harvesting, and the grinding, and all that. But the act of faith brings me closer to faith. It's maybe a good place to start. Uh, where we could maybe 
try to edge a little bit closer uh, to, towards this ideal of having more complete faith and more reliance on God. And you know what? God will in turn also take more of the burden of what it is that we need to do in life. I like that idea that it's a continuum. So maybe we are, well, okay, definitely we're not going to have complete faith. So we're yeah. not at that 100% and 100% reliance. But the closer we can get, the more is provided and afforded. Yeah, and, and, and isn't it nice to try to unload all yeah. your hassles on God? Wouldn't that be great? Amen. <laughs> uh, and the closer we get, the more we can offload. So, so that's the idea, guys. And I, I think it's uh, it's 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 still a thought-provoking discussion because there's still a lot of um, you know, there's still a lot to think about in, in in a lot of different areas in life. We talked a lot about about finances and health and uh, those kind of areas. But I think really every area of our material and physical life. Maybe even our relationships, our careers, our professional lives. Um, what happens to uh, our foundation? Everyone's Houston's worried. We haven't raided in a while. What's going to be with our foundation? I hope my air, air conditioning doesn't break. You know, and these are all these these minutia of things that could go wrong in our lives. You know, we have to. We have and prayer. Well, what's prayer? What is prayer? Prayer is like blessings on food. It's an act of complete faith. We say God is in total control over our health. Well, you know what? If we really believed that, he would be in total control over our health. We wouldn't need to go to that. Ideally, we don't need to go to the doctor. You know, but we don't really believe that, so therefore, we do need to go to the doctor. However, if we did believe that, we wouldn't need to go to that. And the more we, the more we don't believe it, the more we do believe it, the less we have to go to the doctor. Because the more God is indeed in control of our health. So, as so I'm saying, it, it expands to really every area in our, in, in, in our lives. Um, so, I think it's a good thing to uh, to churn over. Uh, I would say, if one a, a takeaway point, I think it's a good a good takeaway to try to have this uh, recognition and this awareness, or to try to um, develop and further the awareness of the fact that God is in total control, and to try to edge a little bit closer towards this. Grand ideal of complete faith. Will we get there? No. Uh, just because the job doesn't get done, it doesn't mean that it's not our responsibility to do as much as we can to try to get there. Right? Uh, as it says in the Mishnah, in Chapters of Fathers, um, our responsibility is not to f- finish the job, uh, but we're not free to absolve ourselves from it. So our life is going to be, like you said, a continuum or uh, a progressive uh, march towards complete faith. We know we'll never get there, but the closer that we get, the closer we are to God, and the better off we are um, in 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 this very important and central realm uh, in our lives. So that's that, guys. Um, wonderful as usual. And is uh, any uh, comments or questions anyone wants to contribute? Go ahead. The first time that Tom said that God was totally above time, I thought of like a glowing holy tortoise. A glowing what? Holy tortoise. Like a 
TARDIS? What is a TARDIS? Have you ever seen Doctor Who? No. What's okay. Doctor Who? It's the time machine that the Doctor uses. Hmm. Interesting. First thing so, about it. Well, what is a, a TARDIS? Did you say a TARDIS or a TARDIS? TARDIS. I don't know what that is. Time and lowercase dimension in history. Yeah. Oh. Some, uh, crucial uh, pop culture that I'm missing on. This is a movie or this is a television show? TV. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't have a TV. So. For real? Yeah, for real. Oh. I don't have Netflix either. That's fantastic. Even though for one reason no one really has Netflix, everyone just uses someone else's account. The actual original account owner hasn't been found. <laughs> <laughs> um, Doctor Who. Well, you gotta check it out, TARDIS. Uh, but but we actually no, it's not TARDIS because it's not a time machine. God doesn't need a time machine. God's existence yeah, is not limited to. Okay, cool. But God's existence is not limited to time. Therefore, you don't need a time machine. And remember, that's we're not in it. If we really understand it, we don't understand it. We cannot understand such well, an existence. So that's that, guys. Lots of fun as usual, and look forward to seeing you. Not this week, maybe next week. We'll I'll see. Look, look for look forward to emails. Um, uh, and uh, if you don't have emails just uh, text the other number that ends in 7-6 <laughs> <laughs> okay okay everyone